As we approach the 42nd anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision and the annual March for Life this Thursday, I reflect on the fact that many of you, like me, have probably been in situations where you have discussed abortion with someone who accepts the lie that abortion is a good or at least acceptable thing to do. You might have had difficulty articulating the truth about abortion in the face of their disagreements. And also, perhaps there are some here who fail to grasp why abortion is wrong, and as Catholics struggle with the Church's teachings on this issue. It's understandable, perhaps, because the Church's manner of engaging the issue of abortion, and any moral question for that matter, turn upon a precise understanding of the proper way to engage in moral reasoning. And this proper way of engaging in moral reasoning has largely been lost in our society, even amongst fellow Christians and others who might share the Church's concern for the unborn. Not just on the issue of abortion, but on almost all issues. Thus, the Church frequently finds herself in a position where, even when others agree with her teachings on particular issues, they typically arrive at such conclusions from a very different but erroneous way of moral reasoning. Surprisingly, or perhaps we shouldn't be so surprised, it is the very fact that the Church's moral theology adheres to a consistent and lucid form of moral reasoning that she is so frequently accused of being arbitrary and inconsistent in her moral teachings. People don't understand why. The church will say that one type of action is wrong, and another, which might seem superficially to be very similar, is acceptable, because they don't understand the underlying consistency of method. They don't understand it because their own way of moral reasoning is confused and contradictory. The Church's moral theology is grounded in the concept of virtue. The Church asks how to produce a virtuous person, because the Church's foremost concern is always the individual in the context of their salvation. So what is a virtuous person? Quite simple. A virtuous person is a person who does the right action for the right reason at the right time. In other words, there are three questions that determine if a, person, if a person's actions are morally acceptable. First, is the action undertaken objectively wrong? Some actions by their nature are intrinsically wrong, such as murder or rape or theft. This is what is referred to as the moral object. Thus, a person who steals something, even if their intention is to give the stolen good to the deserving poor, acts immorally. Second, is the action undertaken from a proper motive? A person can do a right action, such as saving a child from a burning building, but for the wrong motive, say because they want to be regarded as a hero so they can run for office someday. And then the third question, is the action undertaken in the right circumstances? For example, undressing to take a shower is good. Undressing in a public park is not. 
Circumstances can also include the likely consequences of the action. So, for example, it might well be morally acceptable for a police officer to shoot a fleeing criminal who's running down an otherwise empty street. But if the street is crowded with pedestrians, then that obviously would be highly imprudent for him to shoot after the criminal. If a moral choice does not satisfy these three criteria, the right object or action, the right intention, and the right circumstances, then we cannot say it's a virtuous action. The church did not invent this threefold criteria of moral reasoning. It was first articulated in loose form by Aristotle. But the church has refined its understanding of these three criteria over the centuries and determined how they will apply them to different situations. This is the basic framework without which one cannot do credible moral reasoning. That is why the catechism refers to the object, the intention, and the circumstance as the three fonts or foundations of morality. But of course, many have tried to construct a moral system in other ways. The two most common systems are what is called utilitarianism, or sometimes called consequentialism or proportionalism. And the other is Kantianism, which is also sometimes called deontology. Utilitarianism holds that in deciding upon an action, one should be guided by the totality of expected good outcomes weighed against the totality of expected bad outcomes. If the expected good outweighs the expected bad, then the action is morally acceptable, and vice versa. In this system, there are no inherently bad actions, only bad consequences. However, it should be obvious that this cannot serve as a legitimate moral guideline, because it would allow a person to undertake even a morally evil action, like murdering an innocent person, so long as that murder produced some supposedly greater result. It violates the age-old wisdom. The ends do not justify the means. The other flawed approach, Kantianism, tries a different tack. It looks only at the intention of the decision-maker in evaluating a moral action. As Immanuel Kant said, the only good thing in the world is an upright will. This might seem more in line with the gospel. For example, Jesus criticized the Pharisees, who often acted with outward piety but self-serving intentions. But it sidesteps the need for right intention to be embodied in correct moral judgment about the rightness or wrongness of specific actions in specific circumstances. Thus, Thomas Aquinas said, It often happens that a man acts with a good intention, but without spiritual gain, because he lacks a good will. Thus, for example, what I said previously, someone who steals from one person in order to give to someone else in greater need. The intention is correct in wanting to help the poor, but their action, which is stealing, is morally problematic. Or, as we might say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. As you can see, both strains of erroneous moral reasoning, mixtures of what you can find in the toolbox of those who support abortion, 
take a simplistic and reductionist view of moral decision-making. Instead of considering all three fonts of morality, as does Catholic moral theology, they focus on only one. This should immediately give you pause when anyone says, as they often do in the abortion debate and in other contexts, that the church looks for easy answers to complex moral dilemmas, or that we see everything in black-white terms. Rather, it is these moral ideologies which are themselves simplistic and grounded in black-white thinking. Most fundamentally, both of these moral, ex moral systems ignore the most important and primordial font of moral decision-making, the moral object. In other words, what it is that we actually do. These other theories fail to see what is critical about specific actions, instead preferring only to evaluate consequences or intentions. We see this in the abortion debate. Supporters of abortion always want to evade talking about what is actually being done, killing a fetus. Instead, they want to focus on the supposedly laudable intentions that a person might have in wanting an abortion, such as wanting to be able to focus on the care of their other children, or focusing upon the supposedly good consequences that come from ending a pregnancy, such as not having to endure the social stigma of being an unwed mother. But as Pope John Paul II said in his encyclical, Veritati Splendor, which means the splendor of truth, a doctrine which disassociates the moral act from the bodily dimensions of its exercise is contrary to the teachings of scripture and tradition. Such a doctrine revives in new forms certain ancient errors which the church has always been opposed to, inasmuch as they reduce a human person to a spiritual and purely formal freedom. As St. Paul reminds us in the second reading, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Because we have this concrete bodily nature, we engage the moral realm primarily in terms of our concrete actions. God and his angels act through intentions, or in consideration of the consequences that they produce, because they are not bodily. We do not, because we are not gods, and we are not angels. As Christians, we accept the reality of our bodily nature. And our bodily nature has been redeemed by Christ, who became one of us. That is why, even when Jesus did something that was supernatural, a miracle, he did it not just in thought, but with his body through gesture, through action, and through word. He was showing that it is fundamental to the human person to experience our lives through our bodies. That is why he suffered and died on the cross. And that is why we will be resurrected in our bodies, because our flesh makes us who we are. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, they have been purchased by Christ at the price of his precious blood. We dishonor that reality when we feel that we can act in furtherance of our intentions or in the consequences that we want to produce without respect for the morality of the concrete moral actions that we undertake. This is exactly the gravamen of the debate about abortion. 
Abortion is wrong because it intentionally takes an innocent human life. Full stop. The intentions of those who seek abortions or the consequences they might be facing in many, if not in almost all cases, compel our sympathy and our understanding. The degree of sinfulness imputed to a person in doing something that is wrong can be lessened by the fact that they may have an upright intention or that there were circumstantial pressures bearing upon their decision. That is why Jesus says, do not judge. And we do not judge persons, but we do judge actions. But no intention and no circumstance ever makes a morally wrong action into a right one. That is what we have to remember in this debate about abortion.